You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 373. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, to discuss the sixth episode of NBC Peacock's adaptation of the classic Aldous Huxley novel, Brave New World. And, dude, you are entering a brave new world tomorrow, huh? Yep. First day of... I mean, we we were online, you know, last spring, so it's not like the first time, but this time it's for real now, I guess, like even more delegitimizing last spring uh, with the way people are acting now. So yeah, I'm ready to go. Yeah. It's a, it should be interesting, but it's going to be weird. You know, I have this, I don't know if I said this before, but you know, we've actually switched the schedule to where I'm going to teach a whole course during a semester rather than over a whole year. And um, so basically I'll teach these kids a whole course and I'll never have seen them in person. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that is interesting. I mean, obviously we've taught in that concept before the semester concept, but like Mm -hmm. you said, uh, you'd at least see your students. So yeah, that'll be weird. And and then just like you were saying before we went on the air that your daughter took the desk you usually record on in the basement because, (laughs) you know, all your kids have, you know, school starting tomorrow and, each child, I assume, is going to be in his or her room or wherever their setup is, and yeah, go. Yeah, because we can't be like in the same space, you know, like because um, you're going to have to interact with your classroom. Everyone's going to have to talk, so yeah. So we have to we had to figure out like zones for everybody. So I think we'll see how it works out. Yeah, hope. my oldest, well, he's not my oldest, but the oldest still in high school is um, looking to. I think he's going to do his schoolwork at a friend's house. Um, So we'll see how it works out. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, what I am watching this week, uh, you know, I've mentioned the rain before, and at this point I'm kind of slogging through season three, having Hmm. a bit of a difficult time. I mean, I've come this far. I want to see how it ends, but. Not really selling it. Yeah, I know. And it's a show (laughs) that really started out, with like gangbusters in season one and and i guess you could say that about a lot of shows the characters are compelling the you know the overall storyline about the virus that gets loose and and is uh disseminated by the rain okay we've kind of seen that before but yeah like i said it's not bad and clearly as you point out i'm not really doing a good job of selling it but (laughs) i did mention last time hbo max is raised by wolves and i'm really enjoying that and and i love the concept michael always refers to it as the hulu model because what they're doing with raised by wolves is they release the first three episodes together then they're going to go one a week yeah that's what uh, amazon is doing with the boys and I think that's the best of both worlds. I know some people are going to hate it because they have no impulse control, but for <laughs> us podcasters and and listeners of podcasts that like a chance to take some time, digest what it is they've seen, and, and you know, then maybe you provide feedback like Fred does, I think it's just the best of both worlds. So, uh, the show is really getting good, and Fred is, is going to talk about another show, Biohackers, later on, and, and I still haven't gotten to the sec- second episode of that, but I certainly plan to. So uh, 
I can speak highly of Raised by Wolves, not so much about the rain. Okay. So I'll uh, kind of jump in on what you're just talking about. Because as I said, Amazon just released season two of The Boys. Uh, I ended up last week, or yeah, last week, went back and rewatched uh, season one. I, you know, I remember that I liked it a lot. And it's just like, oh, yeah, this show is awesome, man. It's so good. I was uh, fully prepared on, uh, you know, to have basically have watched all of season two by this point, but they only released the first three episodes. So, you know, I was, I had kind of mixed emotions about that, I guess. On the one hand, I was a little annoyed because I'm like, ah, you know, I was kind of like in my mind cleared off my whole weekend watching schedule so I could just watch the boys. Uh, on the other hand, though, I, I think I have to agree with you that there there really is something to that, being able to digest what I've already watched, uh, maybe going back and rewatching, and you know, getting ready for that. I mean, certainly with uh, you know, I talked about Lovecraft Country last week. Um, you know, in HBO releasing a show a week, I have no problem with it. So um, I guess the only problem I had is that you know where the expectations versus reality kind of clash with one another but but uh all in all uh you know it's i, I think i'm gonna end up liking it more by being able to not to have a choice but anyway so what i really really want to talk about though is cobra kai which you probably have not oh, seen God. Right? you and elena go ahead <laughs> oh man it is so good you know first of all being a child of the 80s obviously uh the karate kid movies especially one and two, I guess I, I don't even know if I've seen any after that, you know, a big part of like my formative years came out when I was, you know, I, um, in my middle teens, I actually had known about Cobra Kai for a couple of years, but I'd never gone and watched it. You know, when I, when my nephew first told me about it, the guy who plays Johnny Lawrence, I can't remember his name now, but um, he, had directed a video called Sweep the Leg, which was, you know, basically a whole spoof of himself and, you know, as being a washed up part bit actor from the eighties and everything. And that was right when the first season came out. And uh but you know, I never I guess, you know, I just never went back, never watched and everything. But now obviously when season two came on Netflix, it was getting a lot of buzz. It really is very good. Um, there are some things about it that are, you know, like, like, okay, it's, it's good in the same way that the original Karate Kid movie is, right? You're not going to go watching Karate Kid parts one or two if you're looking for high art, right? Uh, you're not going to go there if you're looking for Oscar-worthy acting performances. But it just, it's like a movie with just like a lot of heart. And the, the the TV show is too. There's sometimes, especially with the teenage actors, that it's like actually kind of a little cringeworthy with some of their acting. But overall, they're, they're careless. And really, the person that ties it together, you're probably going to say, well, Ralph Macchio coming back to play Daniel LaRusso. No, it's William Zapka. I actually looked up his name. William Zapka playing Johnny Lawrence, who was, did you have, have you ever seen The Karate Kid? Oh, yeah. When it okay. came out. Sure. Yeah. So he's you know, the bad guy, the, the the big nemesis from Cobra Kai in the Cry Kid movies. Now he's, you know, like 50-some, and he's kind of 
living kind of rough. You know, he's like a handyman. He's, you know, his life's kind of not gone where he thought it would. And he ends up reopening the Cobra Kai dojo and running it. And the, so, I mean, this, you know, William Zabka in the eighties was in tons of movies and every single movie he's in, he plays basically the same role. He's the blonde haired, rich a-hole who's usually like the boyfriend or the love rival for the, the main girl that the underdog guy is pining for, right? Yeah, that was like his stock and trade. And now, you know, so if you just saw him in the 80s, you'd think, well, this is definitely a one-dimensional actor, not much to him, plays the same role. But really, um, he really digs deep into this role of, of Johnny. And Johnny, you know, reflecting on his times and as an older man, looking back on his youth, but still, in many ways, stuck in his youth as well. You know, like, he's still only, like, Iron Eagle 1 and 2 are his favorite movies, and he can't be convinced otherwise. Still listens to heavy metal music from the 80s. Um, all these things, you know, just a really, with, with him especially, really great performance, uh, evolution of his character and everything. Um, but overall, just it was just a really enjoyable show from basically all of it. It's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but really enjoyable. And if you like The Karate Kid, and you know, you'll, you'll really like Cobra Kai. Can't recommend it highly enough. So, All right. Well, you didn't wax on as long as I thought you might. Yeah, I feel like I, I went a little bit longer than I should, but... Oh, you didn't see what I did but, there? Uh, oh. Was that, uh, was that sarcasm, Dave? No. Wax on, <laughs> wax off. Oh, wax on. Oh, yes. Sorry. Uh, anyway. Nice one. That is good. I, you know, I'm, sometimes this is just wasted on me, Dave. That was, that was really very clever. Uh, I just... I, I, miss, I apologize. Uh, no worries. All right. Brave New World, Episode 6, Season 1, In the Dirt, written by Elena Purpolit, directed by, and you corrected me last week, but I think I was right, Aoife oh, McArdle. Really? Okay. Because I called her up and talked to her Did about you? No, I just went on YouTube and found an interview. Uh, but, okay. uh, uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's funny how easy it is these days to get hold of various actors writers directors i mean not that i do it but I, I just know from michael telling me through you know what he does for den of geek but anyway great episode no question but we've got this huge bombshell of a question about new london is it a simulation or is it a reality or are they one and the same i mean i, I mean right. did i misread that scene with mond well, I, I don't. I don't think it's because we've seen simulations, right? Like because when she goes and she's talking to Elliot, that clearly was a simulation, which then falls back to see the reality of the people who are attached to this kind of central machine. So I, I don't think that New London itself is a simulation, as much as it seems like it's some kind of experiment. They even talk about this not being the first time, right? So then it is a simulation or but no but these are like real people. Okay. Well, well yeah, they're I, not they're not like it's not a computer program. Well um, well I bring it up because you know it, it's certainly been out there the idea of the simulation hypothesis and I, and I saw that Elon Musk was talking about it not too long ago but this 
guy named Nick Bostrom, who's affiliated with Oxford, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with this. I, I mean, I'd heard about it, but you know, obviously, I did a little bit of research. But he he says that there are three possibilities, one of which is probably true, and one is that all human civilizations in the universe eventually go extinct before they're able to develop technology that would enable them to create simulated realities. Mm -hmm. Second is that a civilization that doesn't go extinct and does, you know, reach the level where they could technologically do that. They just don't bother to do it. And then third, you know, these advanced civilizations have the technology to run simulations and they do it. And, and that there are more simulated worlds than non-simulated worlds. And, and obviously the problem is we don't know which of these three things is true and we don't know which of the worlds is the real world, which is the simulation. And obviously it's fascinating and, and it's also uh, so fascinating. And I think, you, you know, that, that uh, article that I posted uh, a few mm-hmm. weeks back uh, with Neil deGrasse, yeah. Is that his name? Yeah. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Tyson. Uh, where he says, you know, it's a 50-50 chance we're living in a simulation. So yeah. uh, is that where they're going with Brave New World in, in this TV series? That did they, or, or did they just want to mess with us? And Yeah. I, I'm not sure. I just don't think that the, you know, New London itself is like a computer program. I think it's being controlled by a computer program, but I think these are actual people in, in it. But, um, but you know, I mean, this whole thing, actually, I just shouldn't wax on too much about it, but I mean, I've just been thinking, ever since I read that article, I've been thinking about that, like, a lot. Like, because if you really think about it, if we are actually part of a computer simulation, it kind of answers a lot of questions. <laughs> Yeah, it does. You know, yeah. like I'm thinking about like almost every aspect of 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 existence can be so easily explained, <laughs> like you know, um, and like a- across the board, like even no matter what culture or religion you're a part of, you know, it totally is. So I don't know. That's just been I've been thinking about that a lot recently. So anyway, um, but as far as New London goes. No, I just I, I feel like that the, the like the people here are actual biological creatures and not like parts of per- I I feel like we would have seen glitches. You know, we would have seen things and again, not necessarily, but you know, most shows where that is a, like the Matrix, right? Neo yeah, sure. sees the, the cat twice and things like that, you know. Yeah. Um you know, we talked about that, the glitch in the matrix, right? We yeah. came up with dark. Sure. So, um, so yeah. So uh, who knows what, what's going on, but, but certainly, um, Indra is, is not a computer program that you want to mess with. No. And, you know, as long as we're on this subject, that, that great scene where we see her, I guess her name is Jane and she has taken on the persona of Mustafa Mond, I, whatever, but she descends into the bowels of the city, goes through this tunnel, goes through that protected door, and leaves New London to enter a world that it, it 
first appears to be simply another created room. I mean, you know, we're not assuming that she is actually in a world, you know, she hasn't gone to the beach, so to speak. Yeah, but I, I didn't pick up on that. I definitely didn't pick up on that at first. Like, I thought like, oh, you know, oh, it's so, so then, you know, of course, my first thought was, well, New London is definitely not built on top of old London because London is nowhere near a beach or the ocean or anything. So there's not a chance. But then, of course, the beach and the ocean is a, is a simulation. So um, and they're not, she's not even outside. Right. And, and, and of course, uh, the, the first stunner is when we see a sea jack sitting in a beach chair. Uh, speaking like he just, you know, left a uh, lecture hall at Oxford. And uh, clearly we know he's not an Epsilon. And again, we, we've been in the sci-fi world long enough to take that jump. Oh, you know, they must have, you know, created the C-Jack line based on him. Of course, yeah. and she even mentions that, oh, you cloned yourself, which... Yeah, I think we talked before. They don't really clone in Brave New World, at least in the novel. I mean, well, they, they did the uh, the the lower uh, casts. They did. They did. They did actually clone them. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, the the Bakanovsky process. Yeah, I, allows I, them to. Yeah, do that. I guess that really is cloning, and and obviously that's something that Fred could uh, clearly speak to, but. She apparently only comes here when there's a problem. We're introduced to this concept of the 10. So we've got the 10, and she is the lone you know, individual that's, that's not in, you know, what is it, stasis? I mean, we don't really know. We just see them there. Again, we've seen enough sci-fi to kind of, you know, try to explain it that okay they're in stasis they're probably in some sort of a virtual world and and that's how she's talking to him but uh, you know he's still you know lying in one of those chairs we assume but you know who are these 10 i mean it's probably not a leap to say that they are all the controllers of this world which how far beyond New London does it extend? Right. Does it, it extend? Do- yeah. So- well, and that's all, all right. So that's another thing that would make me say this is not a simulation is because they also have the Savage Lands, right, that they go to. And I mean, I guess it could all be explained away as, you know, as a computer program. Like if you're in a computer program, you can make you, you know, if you, you can make you think other people or, or whatever are real. It can make you think you're flying above the earth and that you've gone to a different part of the world. I just feel like it's not not a thing, though. So well, so so then I guess what you're saying is that Indra doesn't create a new simulation on top of an old simulation. I mean, are you saying that you know the New London thrives, crashes, burns, and then she starts over? That's what. Yeah, it's, that's what I think, yeah. Okay, okay. Because in their conversation, you know, he reminds her that Indra created their world. So again, are we to understand that in Brave New World, the TV series, that Indra created this whole concept of the social order in which we, you know, find all our participants? 
as opposed to right. Ford <laughs> doing it. Right, right. Yeah, I, I just think that what Indra basically said, I think that she just she makes keeps making the world over and over. So when it doesn't work out, she like you said, lets it burn, destroys it, whatever, and then just starts over. Yeah. I mean, for Ford's yeah. sake, I mean, I could use a few answers here. And right, I don't sure. know about you, but I'm I'm very disappointed that hasn't, you know, enter, yeah. entered into the TV series at this point. Right. Well, they stay, you know, just completely away from the the idea of religion altogether, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. that's a big part of the novel is that they've actually created this religion that for that these people have followed. So that there is some semblance of a higher being that they can ponder or you know feel that they need to answer to um but yeah they've they've removed that altogether which yeah it's a little disappointing yeah it is and you know especially since they have nine hours with which to play and given the cast that they assembled for this series you have to believe they thought getting a second season was a pretty good bet if they wanted it. So sure. a lot of time to tell the story, but but that's okay. Now, Mond is apparently dying. You know, we, we talked last time about, you know, whatever that was on her shoulder and chest, but she stopped by the projection of that woman that we saw previously. So I thought at the time, if you recall, that maybe that was Indra. And then I thought, nah, they're not going to have Indra, you know, ushering Bernard in to see her and all that. But, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, well, it was, yeah. I mean, there's no reason. Uh, again, we, we certainly know that artificial intelligence connected to uh, a human avatar is has been done h- how many times? I mean. Well, in science fiction, a yeah, lot. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. It's, <laughs> it's been actually done. I mean, Lexa Doig, for goodness sakes, in, right. in Andromeda. Right. But, yes. uh, but the... Uh, the opening scene, we get that great look at a trailer of Marco Hoover's newest feely. I think in the book, his name is Benito. But Benito Hoover, yeah. yeah maybe mm-hmm. they changed that for, I don't know, political reasons. Who knows wow. these days? But, yeah. dude, face punch. Yeah. Uh, could it get any better than that? An experience that expands on Bernard's punch to Henry's face. And then we see that people have taken to wearing face makeup to give themselves a just punched in the eye appearance. In other words, a foster. Right. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I think his punch feely was probably pretty good, but I don't know if it's, I don't know if any feely can live up to the moist boys. And and how they did that trailer (laughs) was just, just outstanding. There's no question. Uh, Of course, Helm's a bit jealous because, Marco's stolen some of her celebrity and according to her some of her haptics which are the science involved in in these productions and the sensations that they you know give to the people that experience it but uh, you know we've kind of danced around the fact that John and Lenina were destined to be together and and of course as you mentioned last time we know from the book that they're going to get together although as you've mentioned previously they have pretty much departed from the book in so many ways so you never know but you know that said 
So he sees her at one of Helm's parties, and for the second time, he he goes after her, only to see her disappear in the crowd. Is she deliberately avoiding connecting with him, or, or at least facing him one on one? Do you think? Yeah, I don't know. That's that's a good question. You know, that I think about. It. Um, she's definitely, as she tells John, you know, she's kind of going through some things on her own. Uh, and we had talked about this before, like the frustration of feeling that there's something wrong with her and that she should just wants, she just wants to be like everybody else, but just completely not able to feel like everybody else. I, you know, I would tend to think she's just, I don't know if she's avoiding John per se as much as she's just kind of avoiding society in general. Yeah, would because, be my. because we know why he's going after her. He he feels like he does have a connection to her from you know the experience in the Savage Lands, and and even though he has been assimilating into the social body on many levels, figuratively and literally, you know I, I can understand why he would want to talk to her. I guess I don't understand, and I agree with you. Maybe she just doesn't want to be confronted by him. But on the other hand, I think, well, why not? Because he can certainly relate to what it is she's going through. And, you know, they run into each other on the train platform later. Great dress, by the way. Yeah. And and they're talking as they walk. And she's a bit miffed because he's being like everybody else. And it was just such a wonderful scene where he just says, well, why are you mad at me? It's almost like, are you mad at me because I've been having sex with other men and women, as it turns out? I mean, mm-hmm. certainly the women we knew, but then we see that one shot where he's in in bed with, with both. But it's a great question because that does seem to be you know, the, the sense that I think we get as well that that she is mad at him for some reason. And of course, he's like, and I think rightly so. I was going to say typical guy is like, what did I do? Yeah. And and, and honestly, on, on his part, what has he done? He's just, you know, he is trying to integrate into this society. It's just at that same time that he's trying to become part of the society, Lenina feels herself separating from it. So, the only person who she believed would be able to understand her, as you said, is ironically trying to do the opposite and and ditch his old life and all this stuff of feelings and and throws him throwing himself into the in, in this new world. But of of course, John hasn't really changed that much. I mean, yeah, he's been enjoying the sex, but you know, when it gets down to it, he's still the the kid from the Savage Lands. Well, right. And he doesn't understand why she would have a problem with him doing what everybody has been telling him he needs to do. But once she starts talking about her feelings, which she's done on, on several occasions, obviously the feeling that she doesn't fit anymore. And and we've seen this coming she says she thought seeing him would remind her who it is I'm supposed to be, which I thought is a great line because it's not who I'm supposed to be within New London's social body. It's who I'm supposed to be as 
this new right. person that, yes. that that I've had inside of me, and I'm only now discovering. Which I, I just thought it was such a great line and a great scene. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, just what I mean. Really, what we've been talking about a lot is just yeah, her coming into her own and, and becoming an individual, like not you know of a person who can think and do things differently than what she's been conditioned to believe and to do. Yeah. And, and then how great is it that their journey of discovery is related to their trip on the Epsilon train? Well, where does it go? Well, it goes Epsilon places. <laughs> <laughs> Again, a, a great line that just reminds us that yeah, there's still a, a lot of conditioning she's going to have to overcome we don't know where they've gone, but it's just so exhilarating to watch her, you know, drink in these scenes that she had no idea were even there. And as she right. says, why did I never go here before? Yeah. Is it that they're not allowed? I mean, she takes out her optic. Well, yeah, like well, be right, because she's been conditioned, as I said, like the Epsilons get on their train and they go to their place. And she goes to where bathers go. So she never even probably considered just hopping on Epsilon train and going where it goes. Well, I I guess the irony that I love here is that for the viewer, the Epsilon surroundings are what we all aspire to have. I think we'd all love to have a house out in the countryside, beautiful, idyllic surroundings, as opposed to living in the city where, you know, there's all this noise and commotion and people going here, people going there. I mean, yeah, like you, the, the the people who wrote this episode definitely have read their Emerson. Yeah, no question. But I found it interesting also that not so much her mental conditioning but i i suppose it's you know the actual embryonic creation starts to take effect because she she feels physical effects as she goes out into you know epsilon world or whatever we're calling it i'm not sure exactly why that would be is the air different out there are they you know pumping something into the air in new London that, you know, isn't on the train, but well, well, she says that she is conditioned to get ill the further away she gets from alphas. Oh, okay. I, I missed that part. Okay. Yeah. She tells John that on the train. And so, yeah. So it's just, again, part of that, that physical conditioning that they underwent that she's actually experiences physiological trauma if she is the further away from alpha she gets, which is crazy. And I guess this would have to be intellectual knowledge because we were led to believe that John is an alpha exotic, you know, maybe it's just the, yeah. the, the intellectual knowledge that that's missing, but, right. but she finds it fascinating that he talks to the epsilons. And again, you know, he, it, it's like a tourist, stopping somebody on the street, you know, where are the best places to go in your town? Right. And they tell them. And we and we get a different look at the Epsilons, that, that they're not these 
drone-like creatures that we've been presented up to this point. Are there different levels of Epsilons? Maybe. You know, the Sea Jacks seem pretty drone-like. Sea trash, pick up trash. You know, even though, you know, we, we do see some of the things that he witnesses and then learns earlier. But that whole idea that she's never been here before and, you know, the realization that, Jesus, there are all these wonderful worlds out there. But then she tells him, I should have stayed in the Savage Lands. I could have been anyone I wanted. Mm-hmm. And we get the sense that the director or Indra or whoever is not going to allow any outliers to do their own thing for very long. So, sure. so you know, well, how- you know, Bernard was you know headed for exile in the Savage Land, and I think you know either you or Fred or someone, not me, speculated that you know somehow Lenina was a purposeful choice. You know that if she had gotten stuck out there with him too, this would be two discontented people who had been exiled. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And in in terms of being exiled, uh, they're strolling through a garden. He picks a peach and eats it. Uh, Again, I can't help but bring up the Garden of Eden reference. Oh, yeah. Basically slapped you in the face with that one. Yeah, right. And while it's not an (laughs) apple, it's the same thing. And he wants her to imagine what kind of life they could have and even though she wants to do what he asks, which is to imagine, it's not something that's in her skill set, that cr- intellectual creativity. So right. it's difficult, but she's able to do it eventually. Yeah. But I, I just feel like if you're into role playing already in your first date, that it's usually you got to build up to that, man. You know, like they just, they they just go to that one right out of the, the gate. So I don't I don't know about this relationship. Well, I don't know. The role playing seemed to have a, a pretty successful yeah, but, resolution. You, know, you, you gotta save that for special occasions, man. You know, like your first time, you don't need role playing for your first time. Come on. Okay, I guess. But uh, <laughs> obviously, time elapses because it's now night in the garden, and she has taken over telling the stories of their life together i went hunting today again as a metaphor she's intellectually hunting for this person that she knows or at least senses that she could be and of course the sexual tension just is flying off the charts at this point pretty hardcore scene dude yeah um you're talking about the sex scene Yeah, yeah 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 you know i we had mentioned before you know, somewhat cheekily, but actually it was something we were actually noticing how they were preventing Jessica Brown Finley uh, from being naked on camera. Right. right. Yeah. Like they were, it was, they were being obviously out up front with it. You know, everyone else in the scene would have no clothes on. She would still, you know, and, and, and after watching this scene, you think she, she is nude. You know, now that, that makes, more sense a like she's probably as an actress she might have just stuck to her guns and say listen i'm not going to be naked in every other scene pick a really important scene i'll do that one that could have happened but also it's just 
Well, yeah, that makes this scene stand out. This is something special. She is bare. She's laid bare. Uh, she has opened herself up to John. So there's all these things that really, beyond just the, the you know, I mean, obviously there's a very sensual element to it. But also there's, you know, there's actually kind of like really artistically, um, you know, a lot of stuff that makes sense there as well. Well, yeah, and I'd go back to what you said about that first orgy scene that, that you know, you referred to. And I think you were right at the time, and I think you're still right, that for her as a character, she remained clothed because this was the initial stages of feeling that she's different somehow. Right. And I, I think as the viewer, that's how the director gets that idea across to us. You know, you know, again, I think you're absolutely right about what you said about this scene. And then are we to think that you know, it was a gratuitous use of nudity? Is sex being played up too much in Brave New World? I, I don't think so. I mean, if you re- read the book, it's a huge yeah. part of the social body and why the social body is able to, you know, flow, you know, as calmly as it does be, you know, because of, of you know, the way sex is viewed within their culture. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and it, it shows us explicitly, right. I mean, even like reading the book, it's still tough to, to picture, but you know, when you see the show, it's not tough to picture at all um were some of those scenes a little gratuitous maybe no 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 (laughs) but not this one this one definitely not yeah no i i know what you're saying with the but but even with the orgy scenes i mean i i think you got to get that idea across Uh, um i I don't know you know my wife and i were watching one of our international shows the other night and and this kind of thing drives me crazy and and of course you might say well why did you notice that? But, you know, it's like a, a couple and they're in bed and something, some noise and the wife wakes up and you can see she's got her bra on underneath her T-shirt. Yeah. I'm like, well, who wears a bra to bed? Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know. Just little things like that drive me crazy. So I guess what I'm getting at here is, you know, we know what they're trying to get across with these orgy scenes. Well, you know, then, then, you know, show it for what it is. And and I think they do a good job of, of just, you know, the, the camera going here, there really quickly. So you're not, you mm-hmm. know, uh, focused on any one individual for, you know, more than a split second or, or so. But we also see, you know, outside of all this, John's assimilation into the social body. I guess he settled on basic black as his wardrobe choice. Yeah. Yeah. And, even got Bernard to buy into it. Well, you know, and you even see later on in the episode where it seems like a lot of the other members of the social body have adopted black. And, and you know, it, it's interesting, this whole idea of, I guess Andy Warhol refers to it as 15 minutes of fame. Mm-hmm. And that's what Bernard is trying to get across to John, that, that your celebrity is over yeah, that comes across as as kind of jealousy, don't you think? Yeah, oh, definitely. Well, for for uh, for Bernard, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, and because his celebrity was so tied into it, this is in this episode, really, uh, Bernard is very close to the character in the novel, right? Because in the novel, Bernard Marx 
we talked about this before. You know, he returns with John. Um, there's this big thing right when they get back where, you know, John identifies the director as his father and Linda runs out and everything, making him an instant celebrity that Bernard is part of, but it's short lived. And so the, you know, that aspect of this where we see Bernard who is, you know, before was kind of like a little bit of an outcast, you know, didn't necessarily really participate in the social body as, as he should. And now he's getting the taste of being popular and being, you know, people paying attention to him. And he doesn't want that to, to, to go so much so that he, you know, in the end, he purposefully picks a fight with, with John so that they can once again reclaim that spot as the next big thing. Right. But does it start that way? You know, the fight? I mean, obviously, John comes to realize what's going on and he he tells bernard hit me because he he knows gary's feed is on but i'm not sure that i mean you know really bernard takes a swing at him that that gets everything going and john's just but but see it's it's the thing about gary because bernard makes gary stay right right so that would makes me think that this was his plan from word oh i got you oh okay but did he think that he was actually going to be able to hit John and not get hit back. No, he, I think he oh. wanted to get hit back. Oh, okay. So See, the thing, like they had like this big violent fight. It's even better than just one punch, right? Okay, good. Oh yeah. Oh, they go rolling down the steps. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I guess if people could get a foster, uh, next best thing would be for them to get a marks. Right. He says that. I'll give you a pause. Like, it's a marks. Yeah, right, right, right. And, and the other interesting thing is there's a certain disappointment as people learn that John is not inherently violent. And it's a disappointment until he realizes that and he starts telling his stories. And, and I thought they did a, a great job of how that was presented with the, with the time lapse of him telling the story and, and tweaking it a little bit. I would have loved when he gets to that one point where he says, where I come from, there are only two levels. <laughs> he should have said the walking and the dead, but yeah, yeah, he says the living and the dead, but still. So like you said, the quick and the dead, if you want to get off. Oh, okay. There you go. I was trying to get the walking dead, you know, the zombie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that would have been cool, but yeah, they're not going to, they're not right. throwing um, right. customers AMC's way. So. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but you know, th- this story he's telling about the woman he loved does it start out that this woman is his mother it certainly can't be gosh now i can't remember her name she got killed oh. in that shootout yeah uh, oh I mean, we hardly knew you yeah I yeah i can't remember her name or, either or is megan yeah whatever but uh yeah. or is it just you know something that that he knows will keep his audience you know, um, entranced as he weaves his tail and he knows what they want to hear and, and he gives it to them. And I guess like a lot of artists, we talked last time about, about Helm being concerned about being able to top her, her last extravaganza and, and the difficulty that artists face in, you know, really taking another step after they've produced, you know, something that that's really creatively and critically accepted and right well you know i i I think actually a lot of this episode plays to our world today where 
you know, I mean, there's a considerable number of people who want to, they pursue popularity through social media, right? And so it's always like, you've, you've got to keep creating content. Yeah, sure. And, and, and the thing that you did, you know, yesterday is not going to, it, it will, will run its course. I don't know if it'll be a six-day turnover. That's probably a little quick. But still, it'll run its course. And then, you, you know, either you continue to, and so you get people doing wacky stuff like, you know, walking on the, the you know, on the, the edge of a, the roof of a skyscraper or, you know, just doing crazy stuff. Just to as in the pursuit of, of the the next thing, or, or trying to create content that their audience will can they can keep their popularity up, right? And, and this is a social body that doesn't have much of an attention span. Certainly, they have no attention to detail because you know on the one hand, John has grown disillusioned of of this life that he has kind of fallen into and as you said it's it's only been six days but you know he he asks why can't i just go and be like everybody else he you know well you can't you're a celebrity if you go out in the general public you're going to get recognized and people are going to want a piece of you so as you said it's certainly drawing parallels to the real world but bernard who did you notice he gets off at the district of the sublime Oh, I did not notice yeah. that. Um, and that's, you know, John stays on the train, and then that's, of course, when he, right. he meets up with Lenina. But Bernard starts telling stories at Henry's induction ceremony after John fails to show up, which, of course, uh, seems to be a slap in the face to Henry, but, but also to Bernard. And, and, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I understand where they're coming from, but... I'm going to give John a pass on this one, given uh, the circumstances behind his failure to post. You know, it's not like John. Well, I guess he did kind of suggest he would he would try to show up. So I guess he does stiff him a little bit. But you know, honestly, you know, Bernard is more put out because because you know John's what makes him special. Right. Exactly. And if John's out there, he's not special, and he has this very cringeworthy awkward attempt to tell a story to prove that he is special but uh he's just not well yeah and it's interesting also that his friendship with helm doesn't seem to afford him any additional celebrity because she seems to be a pretty big deal in in you know the social body here because of the the feelings she produces but He's absolutely right, and whether or not she'll pick up on it or not, he suggests her next feel he should play on the savage aspect of John's life and his life during his vacation. Mm-hmm. And I think when we see the way the social body has reacted to John and his stories, Bernard's absolutely right. So whether she'll use that or not, don't know, but... Right, well, and we also, we, we, you know, we can't, we get you know, pretty strong feeling that while Bernard is giving this advice to, you know, Helm as a friend, I mean, it's also very self-serving advice as well, because again, like I said, he is coming up with that next thing that can continue his celebrity. Now, I, I guess the, the most important thing that comes out of this 
little triangle here. John tells Bernard where he was. Is that going to be a problem for Bernard? I mean, you know, does Bernard have a thing for Lenina that's going to cause problems here? Well, right. I mean, we saw them together in the, the, the Savage Land, and he was moments away from being with her, but then they came up with this plot to uh to be monogamous and to save to put it off except it never got around to it so that's got to be frustrating for him you know i i think when he especially when he he's trying to get a hold of john and can't and then he kind of stops looks angry and then calls not calls but i mean i guess they can immediately get in touch with anyone else in the social body as long as they have their optic in so he thinks about lenina right away as where and then she doesn't have her optic in so um, so I think, yeah, I, I think for sure that, that Bernard has got uh, feelings for Lenina. We saw at the end of the last episode that, that nice scene with them together. So he, he probably does feel some amount of, you know, kind of, I, I don't know what to call it, but, you know, not ownership or anything, but, you know, that Lenina is kind of like, well, we have something special. What are you doing? Yeah. Well, right, and that's, I I guess, the fascinating aspect of of that plot line. The three of them do have a deep connection because of their experiences escaping the violence in the Savage Lands. And and now that they're back, things aren't playing out the way Bernard expected them to play out. And we get that because that's how he's been conditioned to think. Unfortunately, you've got John the Savage at the one point of the triangle and Lenina, who wants to leave New London behind and embrace the Savage lifestyle. And poor Bernard looks like he's going to be left uh, by himself. We shall see. Yeah, so, we shall see. Um, anything else you want to bring up before we get to Fred's feedback? So just a couple. First of all, when um, Jessica Brown Finley wearing the dress and with her hair up you know you just like you like look at she's like that that woman has a super athletic you know physique you know and i was i wondered if she was like a a gymnast or a dancer and i went and looked it up and apparently she's a very high level ballerina um until i guess um at some point she decided to pursue acting instead of ballet but she's a pretty good ballerina so you know that I just like to say I called that one. Okay. You know, th- there was another thing that um, that Elliot said about, she, he tells uh, Jane, he says, they're not your children. The scientists don't name the rats. So again, that makes me feel like that, well, this isn't a, a simulation as much as it's like, like, I think it's exactly as you said before, that it's, you know, that they, they create a society if it works, great. If it doesn't, start again. You know, throw in the trash can, start over again. Right, exactly. Um, they obviously have the genetic technology to do that, uh, to just be able to, like, you know, burn off a whole city and, and just have new people in it. So, yeah. And um, I guess the, uh, as long as you have these 10 people that know what they're right. doing and you've retained the knowledge then that's all you need we, we see the the fierce white tailed deer beast <laughs> yeah rear its ugly head once <laughs> again when 
uh, Lenina still believing that the, the deer were the most savage creatures that ever inhabited the world. I'm like, Gary doesn't say things that will upset uh, people of higher caste. He says, uh, your happiness is important to me. <laughs> It's like, I don't want to tell you what you're asking me, because if I tell you, you're not going to be happy. So I'll just say, let's leave it at this. Your happiness is important to me. Well, he's, a, he's a great character. I love him. Yeah. yeah. More Gary. I think that uh, that might be it. Okay. All right. In fact, I've got a, a great photo of Gary that I'll maybe use as the uh, photo in the blog post this week. So Nice. All right. Anyway. All right. Well, let's hear what Fred's got for us, and we'll be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Brave New World Season 1, Episode 6. What was I watching last week? In the previous podcast, I told you I was watching the premiere of Biohackard. Now I watched the rest of this mini-series of six episodes. Well, actually, it is a series, because it will get a second season. A fast-paced thriller following the medical student Mia, who discovers the illegal and highly advanced biohacking technology used in her university town. And I say especially town, because some of it is not practiced at the university at all. She tries to find out these illegal practices, because it has something to do with her own past. It is an intriguing story, but it has to come, although it's fast-paced, on speed for its content, because in the beginning it's about student life and a little bit silly. And certainly from episode 3 onward it gets very interesting and also exciting. Some of the genetics in it is quite truthful and up to date. Some is a little more, let's say, science fiction. Actually, just as it was in Orphan Black. One of the reasons I like that series a lot. The leading role of Mia is played by the Swiss actress Luna Wettler. And she's 22 when she plays this role, and I think she does a marvelous job. I went to IMDb to look what she did more, and I watched in the meantime a movie with her in a leading role as well, from 2017, called Blew My Mind. In Biohackers, she speaks a perfect German, but she is originally Swiss, and if you hear her in this 2017 movie, it's quite difficult to understand for me this Swiss-German there were no Dutch subtitles available, so I had to listen to Swiss German and read English subtitles. Fortunately, I went in my teenage years a lot of times to Switzerland for vacation with my parents, and I actually always had German or Swiss friends there. But really heavy Swiss dialect is difficult to understand for me, and I think for most German people as well. The 2017 movie Blew My Mind is about the transition into puberty of a young girl, but this girl called by chance also Mia, and it has nothing to do with the Biohacker series, goes through another transition, and that is of a more supernatural type. The story on its own is not that strong, because quite from the beginning you know where it will land up at the end, but the acting of uh, Luna is also in this movie quite good. And she's only 19 there. Quite good European young talents, like in Ragnarok. And don't forget Dark, of course. 
I'm even considering to make my Patreon choice instead of Hemlock Grove Season 1 Episode 3 to Biohackers Season 1 Episode 3. And that's, of course, a slazy trick, because then you probably have to watch Episode 1 and 2 ahead. But in that way, I can hear what you think of this series. Just the pilot is not enough. Okay, going into Brave New World Episode 6. First off, did the train to the Epsilon Growing Ground remind you of something, Wayne? I got quite a snow piece of feeling. Last podcast I was wondering what is happening to Mustafa Mond. And here we get a confirmation that she is somehow dying. And she is one of a group of ten. And we see those ten later. And C-Jack 60 is one of them. So C-Jack 60 is, as I understand it, projected here on that beach. But he's also cloned, so that's why he is running around as a Epsilon in New London. So when these ten went asleep, when there was some kind of apocalyptic thing happening, when the water rose and the birds all died, in the meanwhile Indra built this new world. But we also get a confirmation that Indra is actually made or programmed by Mustafa Mund. Or Jane, as CJX60 calls her. And CJX60 is actually called Elliot. I still don't get that story quite clear. But we did see her going down from New London to the old area and going through the tube to the beach. So this could mean, one, it's all imaginary. Because also Elliot just disappears. Or... New London is actually built near the sea because she just can walk there. So then New London is not built where Old London was, but still on top of some other kind of city. From cinematography standpoint, there was one scene I liked a lot, and that's Henry's appointment dinner. Remind me a lot of Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper. And finally we got some Jessica Brown Findlay nudity here. So our assumption that she didn't want that in this series is not true. But it's still a little disturbing that in the orgy scenes everybody is naked except her. But on the other hand, perhaps there is just one nudity scene included in her contract. And we got that here. No idea how those kind of things work. Okay, that was all for this time. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Alright, well, a lot of... Again, as usually happens, what Fred talked about, we've already addressed. But I am glad to hear that the genetic science in biohackers is not junk science. I mean, yeah, as Fred says, I mean, look, a lot of it is taking liberties with scientific fact. But apparently from you know the way Fred presented it, it's not so outrageous as to lose him as a viewer. So even though I haven't gotten back to biohackers yet... Uh, I definitely do plan to, so that was certainly encouraging. And then, uh, you know, we, we talked about the nudity with Jessica Brown Findlay, and I, you know, I, I think we explained that and how we feel about that. Uh, anything else that he brings up you want to address? Well, just the uh, he he had asked about the the Snowpiercer vibe from the Epsilon greenhouse, and I completely agree. Yes, absolutely, definitely significant. Snowpiercer vibe uh, going on there. And, you know, I love 
the symbol of the train that uh, obviously Snowpiercer, you know, the scene with uh, their travel to the Epsilon world, you, you, going back to our Lost Girl days with, with you know, the train that, that Bo was on right, at, at right. one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, a lot of things you can do with that. So Sure. Anyway, good stuff, Fred. Thank you, as always. And what do you got for a grade this time? Mm, I'm thinking the A minus B plus kind of range here. Okay. Um, I guess, you know what, I got to give it the A minus because they did open up a lot of, like, the whole thing of this world and it being, like, maybe some kind of experiment and um, the... You know, Lenina. I mean, as you said, I mean that probably one of the the best things of was this. You know, Lenina f- seeing a world that she's never seen before. We saw it before when she went to the Savage Land, but this is a world she didn't. At least she knew the Savage Land existed. She didn't even know that fields of green existed. Right. Yeah. Was, we talked earlier about whether or not she'd ever walked barefoot in grass. Right. Right. And I think at the time we speculated maybe no. she hadn't. Yeah, probably not. So, okay. Yeah, I'm going A minus as well. I, I thought this was a really strong episode. And, and if anything, how can they possibly finish with just four episodes to go? The, the, there, there has to be a season two. Right. Please don't firefly us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like, uh, you know, this, well, this is the point. We, we get to where we're now more than halfway through and we start all this, you know, it, it's all of a sudden we start counting the other way, you know, now all of a sudden it's like, Oh, we only have four episodes left, you know, and no, there's just three, three. Only- I mean, right. Sorry. Three left. Yeah. You know, you know, what, what the heck are they going to do? You know, are we going to see resolution? And of course, any genre, TV junkie is going to be always anxious about the show you really get into. And then like they firefly, you know, they yank it out from under your feet. You know, the, the names of shows that that's happened to are are almost limitless. I don't know. It's, you know, the ride has been great so far though. Look at my, uh, Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles poster. Oh, don't say it, man. Oh no. That may be, that may be the worst of all time yeah. worse than firefly yeah yeah i think firefly I think at least so. got a movie you know yeah yeah the, yeah you're right the sarah connor Chronicles is probably the most heartbreaking killing off of a series before in its prime mm. oh, anyway. all right all right I let's can't. stop there i can't <laughs> think about it. i can't think about it right now <laughs> all right well let's let's leave it there and Uh, that'll do it for this episode of sci-fi tv rewatch thanks for joining us love to hear what you think about brave new world dark anything going on in genre tv shows axed before their time if you want to get incredibly painful there our email is sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com if you want to drop us a line we'll be back next week to discuss episode seven of the nbc peacock dystopian classic brave new world titled monogamy and futility part one but until then you know dave i think i think people are really hoping for this pandemic to be over and when it's over i think we should go out and go hang out to the restaurant you maybe go back to rock salt where we went with fred when he came in but you know this time i think we'll change it up a little bit this time 
um, I want to feed you things with my feet. 